The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. All right, good morning, church. I, I hope you had, have had a great morning so far. I want to invite you, if you, if you have your Bibles, grab them with me. We're going to be in uh, the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, uh, scroll with me, open with me, however you get there. Book of John, um, while you're getting there, I've, I've been so grateful. The last couple weeks, I've been able to be here, uh, but have been just blessed by my friends, my brothers who have handled the words so well, um, who have preached the last couple weeks, Herb, Craig, um, it is, a, it is a gift. And now I'm here with a bunch of, you know, pent-up preaching energy, so I'm going to go real long. I, I won't, I promise, um, but I am grateful. Uh, this morning, um, we are beginning our second week of Advent, as, a, as we said at the beginning. And uh, the first week, we started with, with hope, and, and this week, we turn our, our attention to peace, to peace. And before we get here, I know, because I've talked to many of you, that many of you did not grow up celebrating Advent. Uh, many of you did not. Maybe you grew up, you didn't grow up in church, so this Advent thing is new. Maybe you grew up in a church and that didn't celebrate Advent. Um, maybe that's you. Maybe you, uh, I've talked to some of you who grew up in the Roman Catholic Church and you did celebrate Advent, but man, it feels like something you did back then that you don't do anymore. It feels like a, um, a thing that you did in the Catholic Church. Uh, listen, whoever you are, wherever you are from, whatever background brings you to this place this morning, um, maybe for you, Advent is unfamiliar or maybe it is just full-blown odd. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, but I don't want to take that for granted, and I want to just come back before we get into the second week and just give a brief explanation of why on earth we do this. Why Advent? I've been asked that twice this week, and I thought, that is a fantastic question. Why are we doing this? Why Advent? Um, listen, the church has been celebrating Advent for nearly 2,000 years. If you just take that in. Just take that, and in other words, it's not a Roman Catholic thing. It's a church thing. If you are a Christian this morning, Advent is part of your tradition. It's a part of our tradition. The word Advent simply means arrival, arrival. And, and the church has celebrated Advent for nearly 2,000 years in order to prepare our hearts for Christmas to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Christ and ultimately to remind us he will arrive again and to prepare our hearts for that. It is, um, with this, I, I, I want you to understand, God is all about reminders, by the way. All about reminders. So much of my job as a pastor is to simply be faithful to remind. So much of our job as a church is to just be a place of reminder from communion, we did already, 
What is that? It's a weekly reminder. A reminder of the work of Christ. Um, Even this, the preaching of the gospel, you're not here to hear anything new from me. You're here to be reminded. We're here to be reminded of the word of God, the work of God. That's That's why we are here. And that's what Advent is. It's a preparation. It's a reminder. It's a season of expectation. I've said this before, but here's the way I want us to think about Advent. Advent is the way the church together cannot let Christmas sneak up on us. It's the way the church says, no, Christmas will not sneak up on us. We will be ready. We will be prepared. That's what Advent is. Like I said, last week was was a week we looked at hope. This week, we are going to be looking at peace, the peace of Christ who is the Prince of Peace. Now, having said all that, before I get to our text, which I am really excited to get into this text, I want to do something really weird, and I, I want to ask that you follow with me. I've never done this before. This is going to be a weird way to start a sermon, and I get that. Um, please hang with me. Follow me. At least act like you are, like nod with me, like you're going to be following me. And I promise what I'm going to try to do is to make this come together and make sense, okay? That's what I'm going to try to do. I am a Dallas Cowboy fan. Okay, some of you are like, I'm in now, and others of you are checked out completely. Follow with me. Hang with me. Uh, I am a Cowboy fan. And on September 12th of 1999... It was a game, and um, it was when the Cowboys were taking on the Washington Redskins, who the commanders were once named Redskins, and I won't get into that. It was the Redskins at this time, right? And they were taking them on, and, and, and check this out. Look at that shot right there. Make you want to watch it, doesn't it? Um, some of you are like, no, not at all. Um, it's always a good game when you play a rival, and this was a rival, Right? September 12th. Um, this is 1999, so it's kind of at the end of the Cowboys' like reign, but they still had the firepower. They did. Uh, Troy Aitman, Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin, they were there. Uh, and the Cowboys were away. They were playing at Washington, okay? Uh, follow me, please, promise. Um, the Cowboys took the lead first. It started out great. In fact, at halftime, it was 14-3. to Yes, good guys are winning, right? And then... The third quarter happened, and the wheels absolutely fell off. It was, it was, um, before the Cowboys knew it hit them, touchdown after touchdown after touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, before they knew it hit them, they were being beat 35 to 14. It was a horrible third quarter, and, um, It was a big deficit. There was a little amount of time. It looked bleak. It looked very bleak. Then the fourth quarter started. Fourth quarter started. With 10 minutes to go, the Cowboys score a touchdown. Emmitt Smith, run. It was awesome. You got to start somewhere. It's a little bit. Still got a long way to go. But then with three minutes to go, Aikman hits Irvin for a 37-yard touchdown. All of a sudden, there's like a, whoa, could this happen? Could this happen? I mean, could it be? And after all of that, then the Cowboys have to go on defense. That's the way football works. And um, they're on defense, and, and they stop them. 
and they spend every single one of their timeouts to stop them, and they stop them. And with under three minutes to go, Dallas gets the ball. Under three minutes on their own 10-yard line with no timeouts. Losing 28 to 35. But there's hope, and the drive didn't start well, penalty after penalty, but then a complete pass. And another complete pass. And and after 10 plays, 90 yards, in only one minute and 15 seconds, touchdown Cowboys. Another Aikman to Irvin pass. Oh, but here's the thing: there's still time on the clock. Still time on the clock. And Washington gets it with one minute and 30 seconds. They can do, they, they have the time, but they don't do anything with it. They punt it. Then Dallas gets it. Totally messes it up, throws an interception. And you're like, Pastor, get on with it. I'm getting somewhere, I promise. And, and, and all of a sudden, the, the Washington Redskins have the ball on the 23-yard line, and all they need is a field goal, which basically means it's over. It's over. All that hope kicked out. It's over. But with three seconds left, Washington fumbles the ball, and Dallas gets it, and it's going to overtime. It's going to overtime. This roller coaster, this stressful event that's taking years off of everyone's life as they watch this, and we wonder, why do we do this to ourselves? Here we are in overtime. Washington gets the ball first. They do nothing with it. Dallas gets the ball. The good guys have the ball. And after a handful of plays, it happens. This happens. Troy Aitman throws a pass to Rocket Ishmael. Do you guys remember Rocket? Okay, this game right here is known now as the Rocket Comeback. 76-yard pass, touchdown, Cowboys win, and after the roller coaster of a season, it's over. This became one of the biggest comebacks in franchise history, known as Rocket Comeback. And um, listen, you might not be a Cowboy fan. It's okay. It's okay to admit that. You might not even be a sport fan. That's okay, too. That's okay. Here's why I start here with America's team. <laughs> Here's why I start here. Here's why I start here. This was an incredible emotional, such an emotional roller coaster. There were so many moments of high tension and high stress, moments where you thought, oh, it's over, and moments when you thought, oh, there's hope, and everything in between. That was this game. And in this moment back in 1999, there were almost 80,000 people in the stadium watching this emotional roller coaster. Millions more watching on TV. It was so emotional. And why was this moment, this game, so emotional? It's because we didn't know what was going to happen. We watched with bated breath. Our heart rates were raising through the roof. Blood pressure. Terrible. And we didn't know what was going to happen. And so we watched and we wondered and our hopes rose. And then our hopes fell. Then they rose again. Here's the thing. Life is like this sometimes. Life is like this with, with all of the ups and the downs. 
um, with, with there are times when things seem to be going your way and other times when they don't. There are times when you're up and there are times when you're not. There are times when you feel uncertain, when you don't know if you're going to make it. Life feels like that. We're going to come back to the cowboy game later. And at that point, it will make sense why we began here. We're going to come back to this later. But for now, listen, the reality is that many of us might be in a similar place of high tension. Maybe some of you are thinking, actually, things are trending well. I got the ball, and there's time on the clock to use the football still. And some of you are thinking, I'm down. And it feels like things are stacked against me right now. You might be here and feel an, an incredible amount of uncertainty in your life. This morning, Advent, this text, is going to speak directly to this. Directly to this. Directly to your life. Our text is John 16. One of my favorites, John 16, we are going to focus our energy on verse 33. And oh, I love this text. Um, But we're going to start a little bit before that. Let me give you some context as you're getting there. So John 16, we're dropping into a massive teaching moment for Jesus. Um, If you have a red letter Bible, you're dropping into a, a huge red letter section right here. And what he's doing is he's teaching his disciples. He, uh, in, in 14, he says he's, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. He promises us the Holy Spirit. He then um, invites us to abide in him, he, he, to find our identity and security in him. And, but then he turns a corner. He looks at his disciples and he turns a corner and he begins to warn them, guys, trouble and persecution are coming. They're coming. In fact, he warns the world, they're going to hate you. In fact, Jesus says, I'm sending you into the world to reach them with the good news of the gospel, and that world is not going to like it when you do it. They're going to hate you. Jesus says, listen, I'm sending you into the heart of the battle, but you're not going to be alone. I am with you. I'm sending my spirit with you. You are not alone, but you will be hated. You will face trouble. Then, it says your sorrow, all of that sorrow, will turn to joy. Jesus speaking directly into the reality of life, the trouble, the sorrows, the ups, the downs. He speaks directly to the disciples in this moment, and this is where we get to our text. This is the context that gets us here. We'll start in verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And this brings us to this powerful text. Jesus says, says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. 
I've said these things to you, in, in meaning I've told you about myself, I've told you about my spirit, I've told you about the suffering and the sorrow, the persecution, I've told you about my presence, I've told you that through it all you're not going to be alone, and I've told all of you this, so that in me, that is in Christ, you may have what? Peace. Peace. In Christ, you may have peace. In Christ, that's a positional statement. In Christ, you, brother, you, sister, can have peace in your life. In Christ. But there's something else, and there's something else here we need to see. Jesus continues, and he says, in the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's camp here and let's get to work. This is, this is it. In this world, in this life, in your life, you will have trouble, tribulation. This is not an option or a potential. Don't rush past this. This is part of life in a fallen world. That means we should not be surprised when in this world we have tribulation. It should not surprise us when people don't like you because of the gospel. It should not surprise us, and it does not mean that you are doing something wrong and that if only you could do it better, they'd like you more. Jesus promised you that they they hated him, and he promised you they will hate you because of him. Now, this does not mean that you are called to be a jerk and to go out there and make the world hate you because you're a jerk. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not, this is not Jesus giving us the permission to go out and intentionally make our world hate us. It's not what it's talking about. To be mean or to be reclusive or to be weird it's not what Jesus is giving you the permission and the calling to do. Here, Jesus says, the world will hate you because it hated me. And so when this, here's why this matters. When this happens in our life, I've, I've, heard, I've heard many um, Christians who react to this in a negative way. And what I mean is, is maybe for some in response to the world who doesn't like us, we, we, maybe we want to become more secret about our faith. So we don't step on any toes and we're, we're liked a little bit more. Maybe you don't want to be face disapproval, so you want to lay low. Uh, um, maybe on the other side, you're like, man, if I'm going to be hated, bring it. Like, and you get combative. Maybe that's you. Both of those, right? Um, but you know what I've seen more often than anything in response to a world that doesn't like us because of Jesus? What I've seen more than anything is Christians who look at it and are shocked. And they think, they rack their minds, what did I do wrong? Could I have said this in a more pleasant way? Could I have reworded this? Could, could what did I do wrong? And, and I see I see. Christians who wonder when the world doesn't like us because of what we believe, we look at ourselves and, and, and think that we are doing it wrong. 
we're told we're outdated or on the wrong side of history. And what we hear and we think, well, what if I am, am I doing it wrong? Am I saying it wrong? Listen, Jesus has promised you that your world and your faith will eventually collide. You have been promised that this will happen. Your world and your faith at some point will not get along. Will not see things the same way. Why? Because you live in a fallen world. You live in a sinful world. This is the promise. And when this happens, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean, oh, if you could only have said it in a different way, they wouldn't have been offended. Because at the core of it, church, at the very core of it, the conflict is between the world and the Christ. And as his ambassador, their problem is with him. They hated him. Therefore, they hate you. Do not be surprised by this, Jesus says. In this world, you will have, not you might have. You will have, not you. There's a good chance, there's a high probability that. It's you will face tribulation. And that's what makes this next line so incredibly beautiful. He says, but take heart. But this is a contrast word. It means what came before it, it's standing in contrast to what's coming after it. It says, but take hearts. Your translation might say, but take courage. Or, but uh, be encouraged by this. It says, but take heart. What should this tell you, by the way? What should this tell you? What should this but take heart tell you? Well, it should tell you that you are promised trials in this life. And along with those trials will come discouragement. Sometimes I hear Christians talking like, hey, as Christians, we don't get sad. Victory. Um, We don't get discouraged. We don't get affected by life's up and downs. We're Christians. And if you're a Christian in this room and you've been a Christian for a day or more, you know that is not true. As Christians, our promise is not that, that we're, we're, we're you know, not going to have to deal with emotional ups and downs. That's not the promise. The promise is, the Christian life is, is, is not a life free of discouragement. The Christian life is the life we live in Christ, which allows us to meet the discouragement with the truth. With the truth. If we weren't prone to discouragement... Jesus would not have had to encourage us to take heart when we face it. What he is saying here is discouragement will happen. It's not awesome to not be liked. Even if you're not a people pleaser, it's not fun. But take heart. But be encouraged. And why? Why are we to be encouraged? This is everything. The entire sermon, the entire text is going to build on this next powerful statement. I have overcome the world. It all rests on this. Take heart, he says. And why? It's not just try real hard to be happy. Take heart. Why? How can we take heart? The same world that hated you 
that hated him, the same world that will hate you because of Jesus, the same world that brings the trials, the same world that brings the tribulations and the struggles and the pain and the sickness, that same world, Jesus says, take heart and courage because I beat it. I've won. I've overcome it. And here's what I want us to see this morning. And I'm going to put this on the screen, and it is going to sound like the most religious Christianese jargon in the world. And I'm going to do my best to show you why it's not. All right? Here here it is. Our peace is in the victory of Christ. My goal with the remainder of our time is to show you why this statement is so powerful and beautiful. It might look like um, religious jargon. It might look like Christianese. It might look like the kind of line that a pastor would put up on a screen and tell you why it matters, and then Monday happens, and it doesn't matter. It is my heart and my goal to show us together why this line should mark us and change us should change our life on Monday, not just here in this place. That this line will change our, quote-unquote, real world. It changes everything. And my goal with the remainder of our time is to show you why. So, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So, Jesus says, in me... Peace. Follow with me here. In the world, trouble. That puts you in a weird place. Because let me ask you this morning, for you who are in Christ, for you who are Christians, are you in the world or are you in Christ? Well, that's a weird one. Because our answer to this, as a follower of Jesus, our answer to this must be yes. Must be yes. Yes. Yes, I am in Christ, and yes, I am in this world. Has to be yes. Well, then I'll I'll ask again. Do you have peace, or do you have tribulation? Well, as a follower of Jesus, again, that's a weird one. We say yes. We say yes. Yes, we have peace because we are in Christ, and yes, we have tribulation because we are in this world. In this life, through Jesus, here's what I'm getting at. Tribulation and peace are not mutually exclusive. Praise God for that fact. They're not mutually exclusive. The Christian life is learning to walk in peace, the peace of Christ in the midst of the ups and the downs and the trials and the tribulations. And how on earth is that possible? How do we do that? Let me bring us back to this. Our peace is in the victory of Christ. Our peace is in the victory of Christ. Think about Jesus's word. I have overcome. I have overcome. Do you know what's so crazy about this statement? When Jesus made it, this is before he went to the cross. He says this before, right before he's arrested, right before his victorious work in resurrection. He says it before. He's speaking of what is to come. And by the way, this text in John shows us the heart of our Savior. 
who is about to face the darkest moment in all of human history. And in that moment, do you know what his, where his heart is? His heart is to encourage his disciples, to build them up. Talk about selfless and sacrificial love. In fact, in John 17, we're not going to get here because I would be here a long time. It's the high priestly prayer. In other words, Jesus, in the moment of his darkest moment, is right around the corner. What does he do? He prays for you. And he prays for his disciples. Shows his heart. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. But here in the scene, Jesus looks at his disciples with compassion. He says, hey, guys, pain and trouble are coming. They're coming. Um, And when they come, you can have hope. You can know I'm with you. My spirit will be with you. You can have peace. And then get this. He's saying, when you face the trouble, that's future. What does he say? I have already overcome. Fast tense. So what he's saying is, you will face trials, and when you face them, I have already overcome. He speaks prophetically here, speaking of his future work in the past tense. Why? Because it was going to meet the disciples where they were when they faced their trial. They look back on the completed work of Jesus here. He's warning them about the tribulations, and when they face them, Jesus has already overcome. In other words, they can look back on his work. They can look back on his work that is sure. His victory is complete and sure. Jesus' words ring true in the trials that they are about to face. And it's just as true today as it ever was for them. I have overcome the world. Our peace in this world is in the victory of Christ. Listen, I started our time with a weird Dallas Cowboys game. Um, I want to come back to that and tell you why. So you don't think I'm crazy. I want you to imagine something with me right now. Okay? Um, I want you to imagine right now that um, I want to pretend that we are going to have a game-watching party right after this service ends. Okay? Um, We have a family meeting where we're going to talk business. No, 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 no. Canceled. We're watching the Cowboys, okay? We're going to put them up on the screens. We're going to stream the game. We're going to get some chairs around here. We're going to bring in some food. It's going to be awesome, okay? Pretend. That's not happening, by the way. Pretend. (laughs) Um, and we're going to stream the 1999 Dallas Cowboys versus the Washington Redskins game. We're going to stream it. The game starts. And we get to, you know, because we're all America's team fans, just pretend again. But we all high-five each other. We're smiling. It's great. It's awesome. It's awesome. They go up. Yeah. We're enjoying ourselves, having a good time. But then... The third happens. The third quarter happens. You remember what happened? The wheels fell off. It was disastrous. Absolutely disastrous. Touchdown after touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. Here's the thing. I would imagine that you and I, as we're gathered around that TV, watching this game, would watch that game very differently, would watch it very differently than the fans who were gathered in that stadium in 1999 looking down on the field. I would imagine 
that, that we would enjoy ourselves just a little bit more than they did, if you're a Cowboy fan. Um, I would imagine that our heart rates, if there was a way to like get the pulse of everyone in that stadium and then get the pulse of us around this TV, I would imagine we would be significantly lower. I would imagine that our anxiety would be noticeably lower. Noticeably lower. Why? Because you and I would be watching that game with the end in mind. We would be watching it with the end. We know the end. We know the final score. And so when Washington scores, we're okay. We know the end. When the Cowboys annoy us and throw an interception at the worst possible time, it's okay. We know. We know the end. We keep our heads. We can take it in stride. Even when we punt, when we shouldn't, we can keep our heads We can watch the game and not lose our minds. Why? Because we know who wins. We know who wins. As we read this line, I would argue that life in Christ is a lot like watching a game that you already know the outcome. You already know it. You already know who wins. You know who won. In this text, Jesus is looking you in the eyes and saying, I know it is hard. I know it's hard. And I know it stings. And I know sickness and pain and trial, persecution and struggle. I know it is hard. But Jesus is looking you in the eyes and saying, take heart. I won. I know it's the third quarter and it's nasty. But I won. Victory is mine. Victory is in Christ because Christ won. So in our life, we, church, can face trials and struggles. Not with a a smile saying, bring it on, it's awesome, I love suffering. Not like that, that's crazy. But we can face the trials and struggles of life knowing who won. That changes everything. Not just here in this room, but the way you parent your kids, the way you function in your job, the way you handle your money or lack thereof or whatever you face, that changes everything. Our peace in this world is tied directly to the victorious Savior. We can have peace because we know who won. That changes everything, everything. A few months ago, I, um, I was in a weird mood. I, uh, I was looking for some fiction. I don't normally read a lot of fiction, uh, but I wanted something. I was coming off of a really heavy workload and reading load at seminary, and I thought, man, give me something no-brainer. And I was in the mood for something, a mystery. Get that. Like, I've never done that before. But there I was. And Audible just had this free audiobook, and I thought, I'm in the mood. Let's do it. And I had knew nothing about it. I picked it up. Off I went. Honestly, wasn't one of my favorites. I'm definitely not recommending this book. Please don't hear me say that to go out and buy this. I'm not recommending this book. Um, but it kind of scratched the mystery itch a little bit. Listen, the entire book was worth it because of one 
line in the last chapter. It was an awesome one-liner. Two sentences, one-liner, made the entire book worth it for me. Here's what she said. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. When I heard that, it stopped me. I, I did audiobooks, obviously, so I hit pause. And I thought, what just happened? That is the most gospel-centered one-liner. And she didn't even know what she was doing. I don't think Miss Prose is a believer. She might be. I don't know. It's definitely not a Christian book. It's not by a Christian publisher. But that right there is a Christian truth. That right there is a, is a gospel truth that everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay today, take heart, brother and sister. It's not the end yet. How do we know that? Because Jesus wins. Jesus won. And we can have peace because Christ won. We take heart. When we understand the victory of Christ, we can walk in the peace of Christ. When we understand his victory, we can walk in his peace. I said at the beginning, this is the second week of Advent. We turn our hearts to look at this peace as a church, as the church. We look at this, this peace. And here's our focus this week. If you had a mantra this week that you put on your mirror to just, if you have scriptures you put up, whatever, if you just write that, just to point us back to the truth of John 16, 33, our peace in this world, in your life, is in the victory of Christ. It's in his victory. Jesus came born of a virgin to live the life you could not live, to die the death that you deserve, and even to kill death and raise from the dead. This is why Jesus came. It was victory over life. It was victory over death. It was victory over sin, over Satan, over hell. This is why Jesus came and Jesus won. And Christmas reminds us of the victory of Christ. Advent, let Advent remind you that victory is Christ forever. And guess what? He's coming again. Let it remind us. Listen, you don't need to be a cowboy fan to know this truth. You don't. You need to know Christ. And the invitation to you today is to stop going through all of the uncertainty of this life all of the ups and all of the downs and not knowing how it's going to turn up in the end and to give up all of that way of life and to come to Christ, to come to him. I know that uh, Christmas is all about Jesus coming to this earth as a baby, but in, in reality, it points to the fact that now through Christ, because he came to us, we can now come to Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his world, his son, into this world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Come to Christ. He won. That's the invitation. It reminds me as we close of the, um, of the old country hymn. Some of you know what I'm going to say. The old country hymn, O victory in Jesus. Some of you are ready to sing, my Savior forever. I promise I don't have the team singing this one, okay? 
He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming love. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. What this shows us is that now it is not ours to just try really hard to earn a victory for ourselves. What this shows us is that it is all about trusting in the victory of Christ. No matter what you face in this life, there is peace. That's what this shows us. That's what this shows us. When you know this, we can take heart. When we know this, we can have peace. 